Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone has had a wonderful week so far. This has kind of been a long feeling week for me. I felt like today was Friday and that's never really, that's never really a good feeling. That's not the feeling that you want to have. You want to wake up on a Thursday or on a Friday and feel like it's still Wednesday. And then you're happily surprised when you realize that it's the end of the week. Today was not one of those days. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not excited to be here with you guys because I very much am. And I always have so much to talk about at the end of every week that I feel like I didn't get everything out that I wanted to get out. So in a way, it is a good feeling because I realize I still have two more episodes with you guys this week to talk about the things that I want to talk about. Today, we are going to talk just a little bit briefly about the California recall election right at the top. And then I'm going to talk about this Brene Brown Instagram post about the abortion law in Texas and where our friend Brene Brown has it wrong, very, very wrong, and why we should be wary of following people that make this kind of argumentation, especially people who claim to basically have a monopoly on empathy and mental health. And then if we have time, uh, we're also going to talk about this MMA fighter, uh, a guy who lived for 30 years as a man, then transitioned, so-called, into being a woman and now is an MMA fighter and won against um, a, you know, a natural born woman in a match the other day and what this all means and why we should be uh, pushing back against this kind of absurdity for the sake of reality, for the sake of sanity, for the sake of morality, and for the sake of the rights and safety and the fairness of women and girls. Uh, let's first talk just about the recall election, since that's something that happened last night. So Governor Gavin Newsom, Democrat, was not recalled. We were hoping that he would be. There was a big recall effort. There were a lot of people on board. There were a lot of people who were super enthusiastic about it, millions of people who were super enthusiastic about it. And we didn't know who would be on the Republican side to replace him. There were a lot of Republicans who were, I'm sure, really great contenders. Caitlyn Jenner was a contender. Some people were on board with that. A lot of people weren't. But Larry Elder kind of came in hot towards the end there and said, I'm running. And he kind of stole the show. He posed the most serious threat, it seemed like, to Gavin Newsom. That's why you saw uh, ridiculous headlines from outlets like the LA Times saying that he's the black face of white supremacy. That's why you saw every major media outlet, every major Democratic politician coming to uh, Gavin Newsom's aid and trying to slander uh, Larry Elder. Like, if you ever wondered if for whatever reason you were still on the fence about whether or not the media is on the side of the Democratic Party wholeheartedly, completely, all you have to look at is the coverage of Larry Elder and the recall election in California. I I mean, they're not even trying to hide their bias anymore. And so the recall election did not go through. Obviously, that means that Larry Elder is not going to be the governor of California. And at least right now, uh, Gavin Newsom is up for election in 2022. So, hey, you never know what can happen. But everyone knew that it was a long shot. Yes, there was a lot of enthusiasm behind Larry Elder and this recall effort. But California is extremely liberal. 
It has been a Democratic stronghold for um, a hot minute now, and it is extremely corrupt. It is impossible, almost impossible in some places in California for a Republican to even have a fair shot. And now a lot of people on the left are saying that because Larry Elder is bringing up voter fraud and people are talking about accusations of voter fraud, that this is yet another Republican assault on democracy and that there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Well, I think a lot of people know, Democrat and Republican, who have been living in California for a long time, that there's a lot of funny business that goes on, that there's a lot of corruption. And so maybe it's true that this recall election was just business as usual for California, but that doesn't mean it was on the up and up. Like that doesn't mean that it was an election with a whole lot of integrity, just because I'm not sure very many elections in California do have a whole lot of integrity. The major cities in this country, especially the ones that are in strong blue areas, are known for their corruption. Places like Chicago, places like L.A. and San Francisco and D.C., people know this. And so, yeah, they may be right. Maybe there was no new kind of fraud in this recall election. But can you honestly say that you think that this was a completely honorable process? The recall election had... Uh, universal mail-in voting, I believe. And uh, they also have ballot harvesting, which is legal in California. And ballot harvesting is basically where a third party can come and they can get a whole bunch of ballots from, um, say, like a, a nursing home or something like that. And they, of course, are not supposed to mess with the ballots and they're not supposed to convince the people who are voting on those ballots to vote a certain way. But we've seen instances all across the country, not just in liberal states, of um, ballot harvesters actually trying to influence the votes of the people um, that they are picking up those ballots from. And so it's an unfortunate system. Another unfair thing is that Gavin Newsom was allowed to raise as much money as he wanted to. That's the law there. But there was a limit to how much Larry Elder, for example, could raise. And so it wasn't a fair fight. But I think that he ran a pretty effective campaign. And He was able to highlight so much of the incompetence of um, of Gavin Newsom and California. Like you'll notice. And this is something that I heard uh, Larry Elder point out is that you'll notice that all of the proponents of Gavin Newsom, all of the people that were against the recall, they didn't say that they were against the recall or for Gavin Newsom because they thought Gavin Newsom has done a good job. By no objective standard is Gavin Newsom doing a good job. For the first time in California's history, their population is actually going down year over year. Why is that happening? Because of draconian restrictions in the name of public health, quote unquote, uh, because of the homelessness crisis that has absolutely wrought destruction Um, on places like San Francisco and L.A., that is being caused and exacerbated not by a lack of funds, not by a lack of tax dollars, that's for sure, not by a lack of liberal policy, obviously, not even by by limited housing. It is being caused by enabling and incentivizing homelessness that also enables and incentivizes, indirectly at least, 
public defecation, uh, public indecency, public drug use that make certain parts of these cities in California completely unsafe and completely unlivable. People, again, on both sides of the aisle can tell you San Francisco is not the place that it used to be, sure. And the super nice neighborhoods where uh, they're never going to defund the police and they're never going to allow for homeless encampments to be. Yeah, those places are probably nice. Um, But in places where more average people live who are not multimillionaires, it is becoming unlivable. It's becoming unsafe. And that is exactly why you saw so much enthusiasm behind this recall effort. Now, apparently it wasn't enough, but that's why you saw so much enthusiasm. The homelessness crisis, the crime crisis, the uh, inordinately high taxes and accomplishing what, by the way? Accomplishing what? Uh, such, uh, Such a high tax rate, so many burdensome regulations. And for what? Like, what has Gavin Newsom actually done well? How can anyone who lives in the state of California say, I like the way the state is going? I think that we're going in a better direction. I think that things are actually better here than they were before. I mean, it is such a perfect example of what far left progressive policies do. They always destroy. They always tear down. They never offer anything better in the way of building things up, which is so ironic that Biden's theme is build back better. Progressivism doesn't have the capability inherently to do that. Progressivism rails against institutions, rails against what was and what is, but it never has a better replacement. And so that's why you always just see chaos and confusion and destruction wherever those far left progressive policies are implemented. That's certainly what we're seeing in California. And it's a real bummer. Like it's a real bummer that people just said, you know, vote no on the recall. And oh gosh, Larry Elder is just this scary guy. Uh, but what's your like? What was your alternative? Your alternative is terrible, corrupt, ineffective, incompetent leadership that is making your state even worse. Like, I and just because Larry Elder is a Republican, that's really what it was. Like, ooh, big scary Republican. You can't even possibly think that maybe some of the policies that he's advocating for to get homelessness down, to get crime down, to get the population rate growing again, to try to fix some of the budget issues that are going on in California, to try to root out some of the corruption, to try to fight against the corrupt teachers unions, which are ruining the public schools in California, uh, to try to support school choice, like Those are all good policies. The guy probably would have been pretty socially libertarian. Um, And so y'all missed out. Like, y'all really missed out. Now, again, I'm not surprised because they're some of the most liberal people in the country. And good job for Larry Elder and good job for the other Republican contenders as well who tried to fight a fair fight, who tried to fight an effective fight. I think we all knew that there were very low chances of that happening Now, if you're a conservative in California, which there are a lot of you there, it's really L.A. and San Francisco that kind of hold the state hostage. Is this true in many states? The big cities that are so populous really run the show for everyone else. I a few years ago went to Bakersfield and Visalia and spoke at a couple events there. Some of the nicest people in the world. You guys are some of the kindest people. Like I'm from the South and I thought that you guys were like the nicest and most polite and complimentary and just kindest, warmest people that I've 
ever met. Middle California is a beautiful part of the country with beautiful, kind people that unfortunately are bearing the brunt in some cases of these really terrible policies. And I think a lot of, you know, the questions that you guys have are, okay, should you stay and fight or leave? Because if every Republican left California, then certainly there wouldn't have been any enthusiasm behind this recall effort. Larry Elder wouldn't have been able to run and shine a light on a lot of the bad things going on in California. Um, And you certainly have no chance in 2022. But the question is, do you have a chance anyway? Even if all the Republicans stayed, even if you were able to drum up so much enthusiasm and show what a terrible leader Gavin Newsom is. I mean, y'all did a really good job of doing that this time and it didn't work. How would it work in 2022? I think that's a fair question. All right, I'm going to tell you guys about my first sponsor for the day, and that is, you guys guessed it, Good Ranchers. So did you know, little pop quiz, pop quiz, if you've been listening, you know the answer to this. How much of the grass-fed beef in grocery stores is imported from overseas? I'll give you one second to think about it. It's 80%. 80%. The vast majority of craft beef sold in grocery stores is imported from overseas. And so even if it says organic, even if it says ethically raised, sustainably sourced, all of that stuff, all of that usually is some kind of marketing on the packaging, even if it's true to make you forget about the fact that you're not actually supporting American farmers. But if you want to support American farms and American farmers, then you need to buy your meat from good ranchers. You are getting ethically raised and sustainably sourced meat. You're also supporting those American farms. Uh, The people at Good Ranchers have traveled the United States. They've met with all the farmers that they work with, they're ensuring that you're getting super high quality meat. They've got craft beef. They've got better than organic chicken. They've got pre-marinated chili lime chicken. Really like that. They've got non-pre-marinated chicken. They, we typically also get ground beef and T-bone steak and a filet, uh, different you know, different kinds of meat. And then we're good to go for a long time. Like I put it in my freezer as soon as it shows up on our front porch, everything is individually wrapped, vacuum sealed. It comes on dry ice. And so you put it in your freezer and then when you're ready to cook it, you just thaw it a couple hours before, at least that's what I do. And uh, you're good to go. So it's super convenient. It's super affordable. You can do a one-time order by going to goodranchers.com slash Allie or you could subscribe. You can get that box of meat every month and that saves you 20% on each box. That brings it down to like $5 a meal. So again, just super affordable. There's really, uh, I couldn't recommend this product more. And like I say, I don't tell you guys that I use a product. If I don't, I don't lie to you in these advertisements. I actually use this product and I really love it. If you use my code, uh, Allie, or you go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, you get an additional $20 off and free express shipping. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie, or use code Allie at checkout. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie, goodranchers.com slash Allie. I think, um, and you know, I'm open to disagreements on this. I think that conservative people in blue states and maybe maybe even purple states, depending on how deep purple, should move to red states and make them redder. Like we need those conservative strongholds. We need conservative Californias um, in the sense that it's such a strong conservative 
area. It's such a strong conservative state that there's just no way for a liberal to come in and muck things up. Like they have that on the Democratic side for sure. They have lots of states that you're just not going to be able to win if you're a Democrat. We certainly have some red states that are like that. But your life will be better. I've never heard someone say, hey, I moved from Oregon or Washington or California or New York to Florida or Texas or Oklahoma or South Carolina and my life got worse. I've never heard someone say that. Everyone that I know that moved from a blue state to a red state, so I call them an unfree state to a free state, has said, my life is so much better. I am surrounded by some like-minded people and I'm able to do the things that I want to do. I don't pay as much in taxes. Things are less expensive. Yeah, it's better. It's better in red states. And that's why you don't see typically People move from red states to blue states, even if they are liberal themselves, because you get to enjoy the fruits of conservatism, even as you are voting against them. Now, of course, and I this is goes without saying, I think, to my audience, but if you move to a red state, if you move to a red state, don't you be bringing those blue policies here, okay? Like, don't don't do that. We we don't want to mess around with that, because remember why you left. It's not like California Democrats are not different than Oklahoma Democrats. I mean, they might be slightly, but they all kind of have the same ideology and given enough power, they will go the same direction. That doesn't mean that you can't be a moderate in your policies. That doesn't mean that you can't give some credence to some ideas that progressives have, or maybe you're economically moderate, whatever, that's fine. Just realize that if you vote for a progressive in a red state and everyone around you does too, then you are going to bring that red state into the same into the same state uh, that the blue state is in that you just fled from. So that's that's the hard truth about that. But I do say we might as well just lean into the polarization and uh, move to a place where you know that you can raise your family, at least for the foreseeable future, in a way that is free, in a way that aligns with your values. Now, for some of you, that's not possible. You got to stay and fight. You live in a purple state. You think that you can tip it over the edge. Do that. I'm not speaking for everyone. I know everyone has a different situation where maybe you can't move. And God has called you right there to make the impact that he wants you to make. And that is all well and good. Um, but I'm saying that if you can, maybe that is something that you should finally consider. And for anyone who says, well, you know, who's going to who's gonna witness to those people in blue states? I'm supposed to be, you know, sharing the gospel and being the light of Christ in these dark places. Well, I will say just because a state is red doesn't mean that it has that, that everyone there is a Christian. That doesn't mean that you can't be a light in dark spaces. Like there are very dark spaces dark places in red states too. Yes, they may be governed by governors in general who value freedom more, but there's a lot of opportunity in red states uh, to share the gospel and to be a light of Christ. Republican doesn't equal Christian. It does typically equal more free though. And so opportunities abound everywhere. Okay, taking a quick break to tell you guys about my second sponsor for today, and that is 
fund rise. Uh, in 2021, a truly diversified portfolio needs more than the traditional mix of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. It needs private real estate. Studies have shown that portfolios with an allocation to private real estate generally delivered a better risk-adjusted return with more annual income and lower volatility over the past two decades, thanks to its track record of consistent performance through multiple market cycles. With Fundrise, this level of powerful diversification is now available to you. Fundrise provides access to diversified portfolios of private real estate to all investors with their industry-leading, easy-to-use platform. Fundrise makes investing in private real estate as easy as investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via dynamic asset updates. Uh, see for yourself how 150,000 investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started. Go to fundrise.com slash relatable. That's F-U-N-D rise.com slash relatable. Fundrise.com slash relatable. All right, let's talk about Brene Brown and the post that she made on Instagram. I'll put it up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. I will also, I'll read it to you. I might not read every single line because it's a little long, but uh, you can go on her Instagram. I think it's still the last post that she posted and you can read the whole thing. And so she posted in her notes app, which she then took a screenshot of and posted on her Instagram. She said this, the abortion ban in Texas, she's a Texas woman, if you didn't know, uh, is not about protecting vulnerable lives. It's about protecting power, the kind of power that's based in fear, scarcity, and white supremacy. It's power fueled by self-protection and tinged with the ever-present threat of violence and now bounty hunting vigilantism. So first, I forgot to tell you, if you don't know who Brene Brown is, I assume that everyone knows who she is. She is very popular and for good reason, for understandable reason, she is an author. She is a mental health professional, and um, she is a speaker. She is widely influential for her advice, her wisdom on how to deal with trauma, with how to deal with insecurity, with how to deal with self-loathing. And truly, like her words, when you read them, when you hear them, feel like a balm to your wounds, your emotional and mental wounds. She is a great writer. She is a great communicator. I completely think that her popularity um, is, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. And I know especially why women go to her. There are things that she says that are true. There are things that she says that are good. There are things that she says that are um, right and wise. Now, she is coming from a secular perspective. I don't know if Brene Brown identifies as a Christian, but if you read her work, what you will see underneath the layers of poetic, um, you know, poetic psychotherapy is uh, a, f a focus on the self, on self-fulfillment and self-empowerment. Uh, self That's why I wrote about her in my book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, she certainly plays into this. While a lot of what she says sounds good and maybe some of what she says actually is good and is sound advice, at the end of the day, she exists, her work exists to show you how to find fulfillment in yourself.
self rather than in Christ. Um, In the world of Brene Brown and other kind of self-love, self-help gurus like her, God, your spirituality, whatever it is, is kind of coming along for your ride of self-discovery, your journey to find yourself and to manifest your truest self. God might be a helper in that journey, but he is not the journey and he is certainly not the destination in the work of Brene Brown. So this is a quote that I included in my book when I was writing about her from her book, Braving the Wilderness, the truth about who we are lives in our hearts. So this is a very new age idea, even though she might not be entirely new age. This is a very new age idea that departs from what we know about Orthodox Christian theology. That the truth about who we are, our real identity, our best self is found deep inside of ourselves. And our goal in life is to dig through all of the rubble of self-doubt and insecurity and self-loathing to find that true self. And it's not only ourselves who are kind of putting impediments between, you know, our Uh, between ourselves and our true selves, but it's also the world. So it's the patriarchy, it's society, it's capitalism, it's toxic relationships, it's all these unfair societal expectations. So we have to throw all those things off and throw off, you know, everything that hinders us in kind of a blasphemous way. And we have to find who we truly are. And in her work, you see that this is paramount to everything. And once you find the truth that is in your heart about yourself, you will find basically this flawless goddess that just needs to be unleashed. And if you manifest her and you manifest your deepest desires and dreams, then you will finally be happy. Your relationships will be better and um, your life will be more fulfilling and you'll be able to navigate all of life's up and down, ups and downs in um, a healthier and more effective way. But that's not true. That's not what the Bible says about us, who we are isn't deep down inside of us somewhere that needs to be unleashed and manifested. Who we actually are is not this perfect goddess. Uh, Who we actually are on the inside uh, is a sinner. That's what Ephesians 2 tells us, that there are those who are dead in Christ. We are dead in our sin, which all of us were, by the way, that's all what Ephesians, that's what Ephesians 2 says, are those who are alive in Christ, who have been saved by grace through faith in him. We've got the old self uh, and we've got the new self. Those are our two identities. And so when we reach inside of ourselves and dig into our hearts, we're not going to find perfection. We're going to find corruption. That is why we need Christ. Uh, We're not enough for ourselves. We're not enough for our salvation. We're not enough for our sanctification. We're not enough for our satisfaction. But Christ is all of those things. That doesn't mean that we don't take care of ourselves or we don't steward our bodies well. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't go to a counselor when we need it. I certainly am an advocate of that or that you don't need uh, medication if you are actually struggling with real depression and anxiety. I'm not against those things. All I'm saying is that you're never going to find the true fulfillment and satisfaction that you are looking for inside yourself because the self can't be the problem and the solution. All of those things can only be found in Christ. And our imperfections and our flaws are not due to societal factors. They're not the fault of other people or even past trauma, even though all of that might be real. The the flaws and the failures that we find inside of ourselves um, are due to 
our nature. It's due to human nature. And in order to be lifted out of that, in order to become new, in order to become sanctified and whole, we need Christ. We need Christ. And so these are two divergent messages that you are going to hear from the gospel and you're going to hear from Brene Brown. Again, that doesn't mean you discount everything that she has ever said, but understand as a Christian, you are starting at a fundamentally different place, a different understanding about human nature, a different understanding about the heart, about the soul, about identity, about belonging and purpose than someone like Brene Brown. And so all of that said, knowing at least in general, I don't know everything about her, everything that she's ever written, but knowing in general her worldview and where she's coming from when she is giving advice, um, I'm not surprised to see this. I knew that she leaned left. Like she's talked about things like this or at least implied things like this over, you know, the past few years. Um, I'm not surprised at all that she has come out in favor of abortion. This woman who claims to be, a, you know, a self-love guru and very empathetic and very compassionate and very understanding, apparently has no compassion and empathy for the unborn woman who is defenseless and who is an innocent human being inside the womb who is being torn apart limb by limb with forceps through abortion. Apparently, that little person doesn't deserve our compassion. And so in order to try to distract from that, which is the reality of abortion, which is the reality of what you're advocating for, if you are pro-abortion or pro-choice, they might be, you know, different justifications, but the ends are the same. Um, she tries to impugn the motives of everyone else. She tries to say that it couldn't possibly be because people actually care about babies inside the womb, it must just be for these other very nefarious reasons. So let me go on and read a little bit more. Texans can now carry handguns without a license or training. So this is one example of how this is not really about pro-life because Texans can now carry handguns without a license or training. Look, the Second Amendment, uh, people who are pro-life are typically pro-Second Amendment, not pro not anti any restriction or regulation whatsoever, but they're pro Second Amendment, and the thinking is the same. We believe in protecting innocent life. Uh, we obviously don't want abuses uh, with guns. We obviously don't like violence that's perpetuated by people who have guns. We don't like any of that. But you can be for the right of something and be for the liberty to do something and to do something lawfully and be against the misuse of that thing. And so uh, we are pro second amendment for the same reason that we're pro life. We believe in the ability and the right to protect innocent life. And so this doesn't make the point that she thinks it's making. Texas has had the higher highest number of death penalty executions in the US. Um, again, I don't find it hypocritical at all to be for the death penalty for convicted murderers and be against the death penalty for innocent babies. I don't see the hypocrisy at all. What I do think is hypocritical, which is exactly what she's saying that she is, is to be anti-death penalty for convicted murders, but pro-death penalty for innocent babies. That's the hypocrisy. That's a, a grotesque example of immorality and inconsistency right there, not the other way. As we've talked about, I can link it in the description to this episode. As we have talked about, um, the death penalty is prescribed by God before uh, the Mosaic law 
for murder. That's what he calls for, for uh, murder, for especially premeditated murder. God demands the death penalty. Now, you can totally be against the death penalty and still recognize that you can be against the death penalty in the United States for a variety of reasons. You could say the process isn't fair. You could say the possibility of a wrongful conviction and taking someone's life um, in the United States is just, it's not it's not worth it. You can recognize that the death penalty is not unbiblical and therefore is not unjust per se, uh, because there's no biblical support for the idea of the death penalty being in itself unjust. Again, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it already, but you can still be against the death penalty because of certain policies and processes in the United States. That's fine. I still don't think it makes sense to be pro-abortion pro the death penalty for babies in the womb, but anti-death penalty for convicted murders. I just don't think that makes sense. Literally, the same combination of chemicals is used to stop a baby's heartbeat in the second trimester as is used uh, in for lethal injection for convicted murders on death row. And so you're using the same combination of lethal chemicals that, and this is graphic, in the, sec- in the second trimester abortion, you have to ensure fetal demise. And the way that you do this is you have to put, um, you have to put a needle through the woman's abdomen into the amniotic sac where the baby is. I mean, we're talking about a moving, kicking, squirming, uh, sucking thumb baby at this point in the second trimester. By the way, still in the first trimester, that baby looks like a baby second trimester, like you're feeling you're feeling kicks. And unfortunately, this happens thousands of times a year in the United States. That needle full of a, a, a lethal chemical combination goes through the woman's abdomen. It goes into the amniotic sac. Or if the doctor is really skilled, the abortionist is really skilled, it goes directly into the heart of that squirming baby. The lethal injection is pushed into the heart, um, and horrifically, the baby even just instinctively tries to move away from the pain of that needle. And uh, when the uh, when the needle goes into the heart or into the amniotic sac, that causes the baby to go into cardiac arrest. That baby then dies. What a horrific way to die! And you're talking about an innocent child. You're talking about a baby. You're talking about a defenseless baby who's literally just trying to grow and is given a lethal injection to die. And then that baby, of course, is removed, is torn apart limb by limb with forceps. Um, And so to be for that, to call that bodily autonomy, to call that reproductive justice, but be against the the death penalty, which is actually more humane when administered to convicted murders, that just doesn't make any sense. Maybe be against both. Sure, I'm open to hearing your argument. But again, being for it for babies and against it for convicted murders just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially for this, um, you know, so-called compassionate self-love guru. Last sponsor for the day, and that is Alliance Defending Freedom. This organization is a great organization with salt of the earth people who are truly doing 
uh, doing amazing work on the front lines. For over 27 years, Alliance Defending Freedom has been standing for religious liberty, the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights in America's highest courts. A lot of times you guys feel like there's no one fighting for you in the things that you believe in, but there are. There are a lot of very smart, very strategic people who are fighting for the things that you care about, and Alliance Defending Freedom represents a lot of those fighters. With the family and freedom and even basic biological reality under attack in the United States, ADF needs your financial support now more than ever. ADFlegal.org slash Allie. You can go there and get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins. You can see what ADF is about, um, what they've done, what they've accomplished, what they plan to continue to accomplish, and how they are making sure that this is a country that you want to raise your kids in, that your kids will be able to raise their kids in. So if you're looking for a way to get involved, but you don't know what to do, this is a really great organization to support. So go to adflegal.org slash Allie, America is strong when we stand together. ADFlegal.org slash Allie. Donate today. She goes on to say, the abortion ban is not about protecting life. It's about protecting power. This process is not an exercise in democracy. It's dismantling the Constitution with the help of SCOTUS. Show me, Brene Brown, where you see a constitutional right to abortion. Where is it? I know the, by the way, the white male justices who decided uh, Roe v. Wade, they said that they found it somewhere in the nooks and crannies implied in the Constitution and some kind of right to privacy. But even if you are pro-abortion, you can see that that was a terrible judicial decision. Like it just didn't hold up to constitutional muster. And unfortunately, it's led to the slaughter of millions and millions of babies. Dismantling the Constitution. Again, Brene Brown, constitutional scholar, tell us where you see a right to kill a child in the Constitution. Tell us how you got there. I'm interested. Um, with the help of SCOTUS, by the way, the reason why SCOTUS didn't uh, decided not to do anything uh, in this particular law was actually procedural. It didn't have anything to do with the justices' views on abortion necessarily. It had to do with the procedure. They will probably hear a challenge to this case. Um, again, the voting restriction legislation is not about preventing voter fraud. It's about silencing black and brown citizens. We've talked about this on this podcast. The voting restriction legislation, restriction legislation, actually the legislation makes it easier in some cases uh, to be able to vote early, to be able to vote on uh, weekends in some cases. It requires voter ID. So I guess you're implying that black and brown voters aren't able to get ID, but they are able to get vaccine verification to be able to, uh, to you know, function in polite society. Okay, it actually is about preventing voter fraud. It actually is. It doesn't make it harder for black and brown people to vote. That's just a lie. That's just a myth. Again, Brene Brown, you're welcome on this show to try to tell me again how abortion is constitutional, where that right exists, and then you can also tell me how specifically which parts of the voting legislation specifically will restrict black and brown citizens. I would love to know. White male power over is making a last stand and they're afraid. That makes them dangerous. White males decided Roe v. Wade. What are you talking about? And by the way, the majority of the pro-life movement is, is made up of women, okay? It's made up of women. And she addresses that. Oh, it's my favorite part. So she goes on to say... 
that Abbott and Patrick have shown no real leadership in protecting all Texans, but they seem ever ready to serve us up to keep the threatening zip tie wielding far right at bay. What? A group that they themselves radicalized using race, gender, immigration and anti-trans bathroom bills. What are you talking about? Like, give us some specifics. Even as their approval ratings fall across Texas, the Faustian bargain remains solid and women on the far right remain a strong voting constituency. Again, far right to people like this is anyone to the right of, I don't know, Bernie Sanders or Wendy Davis, to use Texas example. Um Greg Abbott is not far right. He is not far right. Like there are a lot of conservatives that have a problem with Greg Abbott because they don't believe that he is actually conservative enough. Now, I happen to believe that he's pretty con- he's pretty conservative. I think that he um, is a lot more conservative sometimes than his dissenters give him uh, credit for. But uh, there are plenty of people on the right who just describe themselves as solid conservatives, not far right, who don't believe that Greg Abbott is far right enough. And so people who support Greg Abbott, some of them are just, I mean, they're squarely in the center or they're center right, far right women. She doesn't even know what she's talking about. Bathroom bills, she puts in quotation. So again, I think that she's coming out in favor of men sharing bathrooms with girls, even as their approval ratings, blah, blah, blah. I already said that. Um, So she said, because many in Texas homes and churches, girls are still raised to believe that the safest way to access power is to protect it and stand next to it. So if we're lucky, we can catch the dripping. So Brene Brown thinks that the only reason that a woman would be pro-life, the only reason that a woman would be against the horrific procedure that I just described of little girls and boys being torn apart limb from limb with forceps is because we want power. Like, I talked to a group of pregnancy center directors last week. They're Texas pregnancy center directors. All uh, I think it was about 20 or 25. All of them were women except for one male. Uh, they have the opposite of power. They have the opposite of power. They feel like they are up against a force that is bigger than them every single day. And thank God, thank God, his work doesn't always make headlines, but thank God they are right now overwhelmed with new clientele because of this, uh, because of this Texas legislation. You've got women who are pregnant who don't know what to do. They're showing up at these pro-life pregnancy centers, whereas maybe before they were showing up at a Planned Parenthood and they're saying, can you please help me? And these pro-life pregnancy centers are saying, yes, what do you need? We are going to help you any way that we can. Do you need help with, uh, do you need help with your uh, health insurance? Do you need help finding refuge if you're in an abusive situation? Do you need help with parenting classes? Do you need help with enrolling in classes with, you know, educational classes? classes? Do you need help with baby supplies? Like, what do you need? These pro-life pregnancy centers say, here I am. I'm ready to help you. I posted, there's a pregnancy center in Texas who desperately needed baby supplies. And I posted on Twitter, there were, I think there were like 1600 items um, that were needed on their baby registry. I posted on Twitter. I posted on Instagram within minutes. uh, Everything had been bought. I mean, people are so, pro-lifers are so eager for tangible ways to help women. And let me just say, if you're out there, um, anyone, but Brene Brown specifically, why don't you go to your pro-life pregnancy center? Why don't you see what it's all about? Before you start running your mouth about the motives of pro-life women just being catching the drippings of power uh, from men in charge, why don't you go to your local pregnancy resource center? Why don't you see what it's all about? 
Why don't you see what they're up against? Why don't you see uh, what it looks like to actually offer women a choice, something that people at Planned Parenthood don't do because they get a lot of money from those abortions. The pro-life pregnancy centers don't get money from women keeping their babies. They are literally doing what they do out of love of Christ and love for other people, compassion, love for both the mom and the baby. So Brene Brown, uh, before you start impugning the motives of people who you do not know, part of a movement that you do not understand, saving babies that you do not care about, why don't you learn a little bit? Why don't you educate yourself? I am happy to do that for you. Hopefully you will listen to this podcast. Um, So she goes on to say, pro-life women are just trying to catch the drippings of power of men in charge. Give me a give me a break. They just forgot to mention that we'd pay for protecting that power with our bodies, our minds, and our spirit. You know who is paying with your position or for your position with their body? Babies, Brene Brown, babies. A price that, if you're not willing to pay it, leaves you with no other option but to fight. That's not easy, but I think the fight against bullying leaders who use their power to exploit the people they lead is worth every tough moment. You know who's being exploited by people with power who have no power themselves? Babies. Babies. As a fifth generation Texas, Brene Brown says, I hope we're all ready to fight for our power and our state. And if you're looking at us from another state and thinking, uh, what the H-E double hockey sticks? She says, don't take your eyes off your own backyard. Texas isn't an anomaly. It is a blueprint. Well, I surely hope so. I surely, I surely hope so. Uh, God would be so merciful to this country if more women were showing up at pro-life pregnancy centers and getting the help that they need and the love and compassion they deserve for both themselves and their babies um, than if they uh, were going to Planned Parenthood and hearing that they're not really carrying a baby, that they're just carrying a clump of cells, that their life will be ruined if they actually go through with having this baby. The Planned Parenthood, especially in people, in places like Texas, often refuse to, if that woman comes in and she says, hey, I want to keep my baby. I'm just coming to Planned Parenthood because I didn't know what else to do. Um, Can you please refer me to a pro-life pregnancy center or something or somewhere that can help me? Very often, Planned Parenthood will not do it because they're not pro-choice. They're pro-abortion. They're pro-profit. They're pro-making money. Um, And so people who uh, support this practice, who support this industry, and who say they're speaking up for the vulnerable truly. They have no idea what they're talking about. Now, Brene Brown, she talks about some other things that um, are going on in Texas. She talks about how Greg Abbott is standing up against mask mandates um, in schools. Well, again, show, give me some evidence of what you're saying, that mask mandates have stopped the spread of coronavirus in school children. Because I can show you a CDC study of 90,000 students in Georgia that shows that it doesn't. Like, I've got data to back up the fact that we don't need mask mandates in schools. Do you have anything besides your feelings? I don't think so. I don't think that you do. Now, she does go on to talk about the uninsured rate, and she talks about um, child food insecurity in the nation. And look, I am totally, like, if you want to bring these things to the table and you want to advocate for policies that help more children have insurance, that fight food insecurity, um, we can talk about that. Like, I am totally willing to talk about that. I want to create a culture of life. I don't think that's always primarily through policy, but I think policy is certainly part of it. 
I think that we can create a culture of life uh, voluntarily through our efforts and through our personal acts of love and charity, which thankfully still abound in the United States, even if they don't make headlines. But I am totally willing to hear policy proposals. And I think Republicans should in general be willing to hear policy proposals that make people's lives better, that make it easier to bring life into the world without so much anxiety, 100%. But it doesn't have to be either or. Like, if your solution to these problems in our in in our country, if you, your solution to these problems in your state is that you should kill more children before they're able to take their first breath, that's not actually a compassionate solution. Like you're the only one, the pro-choicers like Brene Brown are the only ones that are saying it has to be either or. Like either uh, we can protect life outside of the womb or protect life in the womb. I'm saying both and. I'm saying bring me your bring me your solutions. All you've done here, Brene Brown, is list problems. All you've done is say, look, these are problems that are happening in Texas. Okay, so again, your solution is just to make it easier to kill the babies in the womb. Why don't you give some policy solutions to try to fight against some of the problems that you're talking about, about food insecurity and lack of insurance? Like, let's hear your proposals then. Like, if you really want to fight, what it seems like you're fighting is for greater abortion access and not for the other problems that you've listed. I mean, it's just so hypocritical. It's just a reminder that the people that you think are smart, that sound good, um, they actually don't critically think at all. They're really, they're really not um, very wise. Like she's someone who has sold a whole lot of books, made a whole lot of money, um, you know, pretending to be wise. Um, but actually, I think that she fits the description, at least right now, of Romans. One, pretending to be wise, they became fools. Pretending to be wise, Brene Brown has become a fool. Um, and her words are foolish and they're calloused and they're wrong. Now, I'm sure she does have true compassion for women in vulnerable situations. But if that's the case, go to your local pro-life pregnancy center, Brene Brown. They're doing good work. They're doing better work than you writing a screed on your notes app, putting it on Instagram and disabling all comments on it because you don't want to hear any, um, you don't want to hear any pushback. All right. Okay. I don't have time to talk about the MMA fighter. Maybe I'll do it. Um, maybe I'll do it tomorrow, but actually tomorrow I really wanted to just talk about theology. I'm just kind of like over the news right now and all of the absurdity that's going on. And we haven't done, I mean, we do, we try to take a break every week from the news and do something about, you know, anxiety or do something about the topic or do something, um, you know, about uh, like a most misused verse. Uh, but we haven't done just like strictly biblical, nothing to do with politics or anything like that. Um, or nothing to do with anything that's going on in the world in a while. It feels like we haven't done the most misused in a while. So if you want that, then let me know, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll do that. We'll do that tomorrow. Now, if something crazy happens tonight, and I have to cover it tomorrow, I will. But my plan is to do a theology Thursday tomorrow. All right, all right. I will see you guys back here tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day.